dear listener, everything that you have done up to this point in your life has led you to this point where you are listening to this podcast. And so it is meant to be and get ready to have your mind blown. This is the creative curmudgeon. How was that intro, Aaron? That sounds awesome. All right, <laughs> I wasn't great. prepared. That was so cool. Um, my guest today is Aaron Davis. Aaron, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do? Yeah, I am a multi-medium chaotic artist. Um, I am a collector of hobbies. My hobbies are hobbies. <laughs> I'm also a health scientist based in Seattle, Washington, and a liberation worker. What does that look like? Uh, what that looks like is, well, which part, I guess, uh, the liberation work or yes, the artistry? Yes, we'll, 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 we'll start with that one, yeah. Okay, so as a liberation worker, um, I work directly with the most marginalized communities within my area, so that is primarily people of color um, and individuals from the unhoused experience, and I work on health equity initiatives, so getting people connected with their health needs. Um, I'm also a harm reduction scientist, so I'm on the ground handing out harm reduction supplies, such as safer use supplies, clean needles, cookers, things like that, and providing community education that's targeted and requested by communities. Um, so really just trying to help people reach their own individual health-related goals and aspirations based on their own timelines and their own individual needs rather than what these systems want people from people and how they want them to heal. That sounds like amazing work and also a little bit tiring. Um, oh yeah. And I'm, I'm, how do you keep yourself um, up to snuff so you can like, you know, you can deliver with this sort of thing. I think that's where my art comes in. Um, for me, artistic outlets are a huge therapeutic relief. Um, and I try and bring that into some of the community practice. So I run art groups as well. And I'm a person who heals really well around art spaces and in community. And so merging those two together um, really fills my cup. And so I try and fit in as many of those moments throughout the month as possible. And that's sort of like how I restore. That's awesome. And I'm sure that's really gratifying to be doing it with others in that in that context as well like what's like what's that been like is it more based on like yeah what is it based on any anyway like what are you kind of aiming for with that um honestly I just aim to have a very inviting like healing space um where anyone regardless of like artistic talent ability or like familiarity with like artistic supplies could come and like sit down have good conversation talk about life and just sort of like take a load off while making something cool mm -hmm. I think create the act of creating something itself is really healing and helpful and like you have something very tangible that you could hold and that's really neat and it also takes your mind off of like the social nervousness of being in community with people which to this day I still always get I'm a super introvert and I get a lot of anxiety in community spaces sometimes and like being able to put my head down and like work on something while having a very meaningful conversation with other people who are sort of in a similar headspace is really neat yeah it, it, it for for any activity like even if you're going to play bingo or something there being just like some sort of like baseline we're also doing this and not just like focusing on what you, each other is saying kind of yeah. like takes a little bit of the pressure off but then with art like that's you know you got you got something fulfilling as well so that's cool nothing against bingo but 
Um, <laughs> I suppose this will this is a good segue then into what I was initially going to ask, which is what got you into these art practices to begin with. Oh man, I would say um, I had a, <laughs> I had my artistic awakening in the third grade uh, during a bike safety week assignment, and we were tasked to like create a really cool poster advocating for like wearing helmets and safety gear and whatnot. And up to that point, I'd never really picked up crayons or like markers or you know paper or intentionally tried to draw something. I grew up in a household that like was very underprivileged, and we just didn't have access to those things, so it wasn't on my radar. And uh, my teacher brought in like a bicycle and I drew like this really awesome, accurate, like sketch of their bicycle and like made a rad poster and felt so affirmed that like I made something with my own hands. And from that point on, I just like dove into art books and um, like would copy master drawings and just sort of like spiraled from there. Like, what can I learn? What can I teach myself? How can I, how can I keep getting this really good feeling that I get once I like complete something and like make something uh, that becomes tangible and I can hang up on my wall or share with a friend. And I haven't stopped since. I feel like I'm constantly collecting new skills and like trying to like explore a new medium because it's just so satisfying. I was, I also got into drawing around the same time in my life and I would, I would draw very, religiously and at one point I was drawing something I remember this moment I was drawing a car and then this uh boy walked up to me and told me that it sucked and then I just like quit drawing for oh, no. like years and I uh and I think I could have gotten a lot better if it weren't for that per well yeah I'll go ahead and blame that person I won't blame myself I'll blame that person <laughs> um did you experience any sort of people going up to you at that age and being like nah or, or not even either the quality or the fact that you're just, you know, doing artsy things instead of, you know, studying finance or something like is, was there, I did definitely, you get pushback? Like, I did definitely from my family. Um, I have a, a large family. Um, none of them are visual artists. And so I would just like be drawing in my room. They'd be like, what are you drawing? And like, I don't know, I'm sort of like all over the place with the things that I was making earlier in my, my beginning days of dabbling in art and so it was like mutilated looking Barbies or like just really weird desert landscapes that looked like I was like taking acid or something and like very very strange artwork and they're like I don't understand what you're doing with your time you've been in here for hours and like what is this it's like well this is this is my art <laughs> and so it was very like outside of like their understanding they're just like well this is kind of weird are you okay mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, so a bit of pushback there, but like when I switched to doing a lot of landscapes and like sceneries and stuff, they were like, oh, oh, this is art. Okay. It's like, all right, well, that's digestible for you. <laughs> Was part of the motivation for that, that like you were getting pushback on like drawing these like mutilations and whatnot. So like you kind of got into landscapes. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not consciously, like, but. Yeah. I think like, you know, looking back on that, I definitely did a shift for several years like throughout high school and focused like on very conventional traditional things that were like very acceptable very like oh I could hang this up in a bank you know on a wall mm -hmm. or something um and then as soon as I graduated high school like I got weird with it again and just like never looked back and was like I don't need your validation this just feels really good yeah and they probably don't realize that when you were drawing those mutilations and like asking you if you were okay that you were probably 
at least if it's similar to like my experience and other people's experience that I know, it's like you are more okay because you're drawing these like mutilations. And so you're getting this like, you know, weird stuff out of your head. And so you're, you're a more balanced person in the day to day with that. Exactly. And I look back on it and it's like, to me, it wasn't so weird. I was really just exploring like layers of form. And so while it looked really macabre and like kind of creepy, like I've always been obsessed with um, like biology and, and like biological anthropology. And so I love bones and like guts and muscles and things like that. And so trying to like figure that out without having a book that like references the body. So I'm looking at my dolls and trying to imagine like, what do you look like with your skin peeled back? And like, what's your bone structure look like? How do I draw you sort of, you know, the the literal bare bones of you, but like from reverse. So I'm just sort of like unpacking the layers. And I thought it was really cool and just like a really good way to study and examine the human figure. But I could totally see how like a parent or a sibling could look in and just be like, what the hell are you doing by like dissecting a Barbie on paper? So it wasn't like anger at Barbies or at anyone really. It was was like you were. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> um were there any particular artists both either visual visual or otherwise that were particularly like when you saw that person you're like oh that's it that's the direction I think when I was really young I was um I was really inspired by Leonardo da Vinci because he was an artist who spanned so many different like mediums and topics and I really loved his uh like realistic sketches and the still lifes and to this day like those are still some of my favorites um but like pretty early on I discovered photography as well specifically um Carrie Mae Weems who has like a really cool uh intimate kitchen table series of self-portraits and I don't remember how I was exposed to her work but I know that like I shifted to photography pretty early in life as well, because it was just like a way to capture the things around me. And I was super inspired by like just the rawness and like the plainness of, of her portraits and just everyday life and like how it just turned out looking so beautiful and just, you know, a frozen snapshot in that moment. Um, and what, what era was she? Was um, she- I, I want to say she was like 70s, 80s. Photographer. Um, yeah, like I when I was, in, I think I've talked about it before on this podcast. But I, when I was really into photography, like it was, it helped increase my awareness of just like everything around me, which is mm-hmm. pretty bad on its own. But like, if I'm just like purposefully looking at things and then just being like, "Huh, that would be a cool photograph," then like it kind of it made life better. Like when I was into it, I don't know if that is similar to your experience. It definitely did. Um, I feel like I've got like a high, high level of like observation of like everything around me to the point where I'm probably distracted quite often from like what's right in front of me. Cause I'm just like assessing everything around me, all the noises, all the smells, the sounds, and just like, I'm highly stimulated by those things. Um, And I think that's like what draws me to photography is like you could zone in and like you could be looking at, you know, something in front of you or like a a larger scape and pick out something really beautiful and specific within a certain piece of it and just capture like that one slice and like that feels really good. I don't know. Photography is so cool. Also, just like the accidents, you could totally mess up and 
just ruin your shot and still have a really cool exposure that like turns into a really awesome print and so there's a lot of room for like happy mistakes and like unexpected turnouts as well I think that's why I love photography does that happen with you a lot where you kind of are going for like one thing but then it turns out that this other thing over here was like actually really cool and it was a all the time um I usually go like when I'm taking photographs I rarely have a plan (laughs) I'll usually Mm -hmm. just be like, I'm going to be in this area or I want like this time of day so that I have this lighting and I'm just going to like shoot whatever stands out. I'm just going to wander and like figure it out um, in the moment. And I work with a lot of very expired film. I've got like this super secret stash of like 40 year old sat in Arizona garage for 30 year um, like Velvia film. And I love shooting with it because it's highly experimental. You have no idea what you're going to get. Like the color tones and shifts are all over the place. It might just be like totally washed out or like you could have a really crisp image on like a certain part of the exposure and just like blurred mess on the other side. And I love the unexpected nature of using like old sort of rotten film (laughs) and just like going out without a plan and just accepting whatever happens. Do you just find that at like a family house or where, how do you go about acquiring expired film? Um, I, oh my gosh, I've like, I've been so lucky in my life when it comes to like random film hordes. Uh, so I had a friend whose dad like was really into, you know, film photography in like the eighties and the seventies and like amassed a whole bunch of film and then forgot about it in his garage. And then um, when that friend's father passed away, they were like, I have all of this film and I'm pretty sure it's like rotten and gross. The box is a little wet, but like, do you want to see what you could do? And they gave me like 30 boxes of this film. And like that happened again with uh, my brother-in-law who's like, oh yeah, back when I went to art school, like in the early nineties, you know, I was really into film photography. And then two months later, I wasn't into film photography, but he's like, an all or nothing person so he like bought all of this film all these supplies and like totally forgot about it for years and just like gave me a huge box and I've been like working with those boxes for years I'll also like I was really smart and like would buy a bunch of film when it was affordable back in the day and uh, just like hang on to it for like special moments and projects that I'd always forget about and so like at this point in my 30s I just have a silly amount of film that's like really expired and I love sharing it with folks and I love shooting with it. That's awesome. Um, I, uh, and yeah, when you're creating that way, I imagine that it would be very gratifying based on my experience doing things that are more, I don't know if chance is the right word, but where, you know, you're, you're dealing with some variables and whatnot, but it, it becomes a little bit less of a, there's something in your head that you're trying to, convey to other people though that's there too but then there's also a you're surprising yourself or kind of entertaining yourself like you're also yes. maybe more of the audience than usual and I think that's cool exactly it's such a it's such a fun experience because like you go in you're like all right well I'm gonna take a picture of like this dead tree over here from this really cool angle and you know I have I have an idea of like how it should turn out but like let's see how the film wants it to turn out basically and you know we're all surprised at the end and it's just so gratifying when you get this negative stack and you're like look at this it's so cool do you think that that's still going to be a thing uh, in a long enough like time period like do you think that eventually like that sort of chance that is created by film will just kind of like be like do you think film's going to be like phased out to the point where like this is going to be just completely archaic or do you think that there's going to be continuous or even maybe like vinyl where there's like 
you know, like a big resurgence of that? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like because so there's so many creative people who have shot film, who love film and are curious about it. I could see film like keep coming back up and like resurging in popularity. Um, I think it'll just wax and wane over the years. But as long as we still have like the means to produce it, I think that there will be enough humans and enough um, you know, people in the photography community who are willing to back those projects and like make sure there's film to go around so that we can do those things. Um, I have no idea how film is made, to be honest. I know that it's like it's a it's a lengthy process. Um, I never like dabbled into that side of things, but I feel like there's enough people who have a passion about it to where like vinyl, it'll just keep coming back up. I think people like love things that are old as well. Like we get very nostalgic as humans and that creates a lot of opportunity to like revive these older art forms. Yeah, I know. Totally. I, um, I wanted to apologize to you at this point for going so off topic for the original questions that I, that I sent you, like I should, I should have warned you like how deep I am in the ADHD game so that I just can go like, I am off, the, off the same. <laughs> I like vibe um, off of other ADHD folks as well. So like if you're vibing, we're going in a direction like I am in the co-pilot seat, just happily following along. Hell yeah. Let's 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 surf the That's skies. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, so you are largely self-taught. And I'm I'm curious, especially with as far as ADHD is concerned, kind of like how you in a nutshell, how you were able to teach yourself these skills and then be. I was curious how being self-taught has worked out like in the art world as far as like people kind of being like snobby about it versus like you going to a prestigious art school or whatever. Yeah. Um, so for the first part, uh, how I became self-taught, I'm like a naturally very curious person um, to the point where like my nickname as a child was Snoopy because I was literally like always trying to find an answer to things or like snooping around, digging a little deeper. Um, and I was given my first camera, which was a like 1962 Minolta High Mac when I was nine. And it was my dad's that he bought like back in the sixties, um, and used for a while. And he gave that to me and it had like the instruction manual, which I like, memorized back and forth. And I was like, okay, I could like take a picture with this. Um, but I also would like religiously check out and like sometimes steal books from my local library on like art techniques, um, and just like different artists and would just immerse myself in like the how to's and like other people's thought processes for things. And I was just obsessed with learning as much as I could so I could try and like replicate what other people were doing. I was never really capable of replicating things, but I would always go off on like my own pathway and like create something awesome. Um, and so I would like utilize books, utilize like random instruction manuals, like figure out the basic mechanics of how to do something or like how to approach like something like film or even like paint, you know, just paint theory behind like starting a composition. And then I would just run with it. Um, and then, you know, not really comparing my artwork to others, but comparing it to where I was like a year before, like how have I improved? What would I like to improve? And just very like targeted, like self-improvement from there. And that's it's sort of been like my method. I look back at old things I created and like how far I've come and like where I'd like to go with it in the future. And that's sort of like my baseline approach. Um, and then as far as 
being in formal art spaces, uh, I did try the whole art school thing for a minute. I went to <laughs> the Art Institute of Phoenix because I, Hell yeah. I'm, a first, I'm a first gen person and like none of my family, like hardly any of my family, like graduated high school. So they had no input whatsoever on like where to go to college, let alone like where to go to college for art. Cause they're just like, do you, what do you do in college for art? That's like what wealthy, you know, trust fund kids do. And we are not them. <laughs> Um, so they were just like, well, there's this school in Phoenix called the Art Institute of Phoenix. And that's clearly where the artist must go. Um, and so I picked like a media art and animation pathway because uh, I was really obsessed with 2D animation for a large period of time. Yeah. Isn't um, the Art Institute like more like biz based on like art business? It or... is, but it was not sold that way to me. I was like, I want to be Don Bluth. I want to make 2D animation films and I want them to be awesome and nostalgic and like very creamy and dreamy um help me make that happen they're like this is the school for you come and sign up for all of this impossible debt and then learn nothing that you want to learn um, which is why I dropped out because it was very soul-sucking um but I did you know get a lot of exposure to you know people who had like very formal and like private art training their whole life and like got to be you know what a lot of the world considers like real artists like formally taught classically trained and whatnot um and got to experience like the discrimination and just sort of like the snobbery of folks who had access to like high quality supplies and teachers and all of that versus those of us who were just sort of like winging it mm -hmm. and making like very, I don't know, like trashy fun art. <laughs> and so there was definitely like a divide in those classes. And um, I felt more welcomed amongst those that were just very relaxed about their own like entryway into art and like what they viewed as acceptable art. Um, and so I just gravitate towards those spaces. Like if I walk into a space and I feel like it's pretty pretentious and exclusionary, um, that's usually like a huge red flag for me. And I'll just be like, this isn't for me because I think that art should be accessible to anyone. You don't need mm -hmm. to know what the hell you're doing. And, you know, you certainly don't need a background. You could be like a hundred years old and pick up a canvas and paint for the first time. And you could make a very valid, beautiful piece of artwork, whatever it turns out to be, as long as you're happy with it. And so that's sort of like my philosophy. Um, but yeah, I've, I've run into like a lot of spaces where, you know, they want to see that artist CV. They want to see that like, you were in a bunch of shows. You had a lot of formal training. You've, you know, exhibited with all of these well-named places or like you're represented by an agent. And I'm like, that'll, that'll never happen for me. So take it or leave it. Or, you know, I'll just go to a place where I am welcome. Is there like a transitionary period where you were like, wanting that acceptance and then eventually you were just kind of like no fuck this oh yeah for sure I think like the first year of art school I really really wanted to be accepted by like the status quo and the establishment um I wanted to be viewed as a good enough artist by my peers who were doing incredible work um and who had like these this really great insight into like techniques and form and like things that I'd never considered because I didn't have like a book to teach me that or like a person to reference um, and I, I really wanted to like be on that level. And then I got to know those people better. And I was like, these are really shitty people. Like you just kind of suck to be around and like, you're really boring and you're not fun. And while your art might be really impressive, like the place where it's coming from, I'm very unimpressed with. And like, you know, the, the person behind the art, if it's really gross, then like that reflects for me like into their artwork and suddenly I appreciated less and I sort of had like that real real life moment and exposure of like well 
they might be really talented, but these people stuck in real life. And I don't suck in real life, but I'm a good person. I'm like a fun person and very open and accepting. And I think that's cooler than having like the best, most realistic or, you know, most badass art on the wall. Do you feel that there, because because there's a, there's a stereotype, I'm, I'm going off the cuff here, so <laughs> I'm sorry if this doesn't make sense, but there's a stereotype about art being made by bad people throughout the course of like history or whatever, or like the idea that like people were like shit parents or whatever, because they were spending all of this time over here, like in their studio or whatever. And to an extent that's like romanticized, but yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm curious with you. Cause I know that like you, you have kids and what has that, what has that been like as far as like balancing, uh, what you have to do for yourself and for, you know, for art yeah. or whatever, but also staying like in order to stay sane, but then also like incorporating kids into it and whatnot. Did, did that all make sense? I kind of ran. Totally did. Bit. That's it's totally, it's totally a stereotype of like the shitty parent. Who's like this tortured artist who makes the most beautiful things ever, but like their kids are neglected and they hate them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so real. Um, and I reject that. I wholeheartedly reject that. Um, I became a mom pretty young um, I had my first, I got pregnant when I was 20 and it was like right after I dropped out of college and was just all like, fuck this, we're doing something else. And I uh, found out I was pregnant and I was all like, you know what? I could do this. This is, this is something that I'm going to put my all into and I'm not going to sacrifice who I am or like any of the dreams that I have for myself in the process. Cause I wholeheartedly believe that like you could find a balance there. And um, I would draw and like paint and like create around my kids and like I would have them sitting down with me um I would like get reams of like plain white paper my partner at the time worked at a uh, Phoenix Art Center um downtown off of Third Street he like ran that center so we were like able to get a bunch of like random art supplies that were just going to be thrown out and like we would always just like inherit them and I would just have available things for like my little toddler to to go and grab and to paint with and would just take every moment to create in a very visible space so that they grew up around me joyfully or like angrily, whatever, whatever space I was in, they would grow up around me creating. And like, maybe that would rub off or like, let them know that like you could create by, you know, whatever means you like. And I would say uh, my eldest jester, you know, started drawing like little monsters at like age two. And I've got like pages and pages and pages of like their early monsters. And like now they are like an accomplished, amazing artist in their own right. They do like these incredible digital characters. And like, I feel like they've surpassed me in like technical ability in this short period of time. They're, they just turned 16 and they are freaking amazing. They have no desire to go to art school or to like be a commercial artist or to make money off of it. It's simply an outlet that they enjoy. They like making comics and cool stuff. And I feel like that was the foundation I was able to give them by just like sharing my life as an artist with them by just being, having it around, having my artwork around, having my unfinished pieces around and like them having unlimited access to anything that I was working on without like judgment or like restriction. It was just like, yeah, go draw on that canvas I was drawing on, go add to it, go do something. And like very, very loving and opening. And, you know, with, with the thought in mind of like, I'm going to reject this idea that I have to choose being a parent versus being an artist or like a whole person. 
And so that's that was like my very thoughtful approach. And it's turned out really cool because I've got some very creative little humans. That's awesome. And that's awesome that that's still there's always, you know, the risk when you're when you're a parent that like, you know, your your kid is going to grow up and become like a Trump supporter or something. Oh my God. And so that's, uh, you know, they just fall into the wrong crowd at school or whatever yeah. and then, you know, become Republican. So that's nice that you uh, are, like are a- still able to have that delightful little rebellious weirdo that's like about the revolution and collective liberation so right rebellious in the right way yeah yeah I did all the all the things that I think I needed to do to have them turn out okay and independent (laughs) right totally um tell me about oh one thing that I was going to say uh as attack onto that I feel it's very underestimated uh, for, for parents, unless you're kind of deep into like liberal therapy or whatever, um, the importance of just like doing things like art and whatnot for yourself to just like, you know, take the time for yourself to take care of yourself so that you're like not cranky around your, around your kids. And so that you have the mental capacity to like do those things. Like I, nobody, nobody told that to me like years ago and, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's very undervalued. Tell me about your supplies, like as far as like painting is concerned, like what, what do, what are the kind of supplies that you use for that? Oh man, I do a lot of um, watercolor painting, acrylic, and um, over like the last decade, I've like taught myself how to work with oils. And I feel like that's still sort of like a work in process because oils can range from like quality and like the type of medium um, whether or not you use like thinners or like other additives that you can mix in to just like make the the consistency different I'm still like figuring that out Um, but I would say like watercolor and acrylic primarily throughout my life have been my go-tos just because they're very forgiving I love how like you can make a mistake and you could like easily correct it by just or like shift it in a different in a different way by like adding more color, adding more water, thinning out, building on. Um, it just feels really good. And those have like been the mediums that I've stuck to. They're they're pretty accessible. They're inexpensive for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and they're they're available. And I love that. I love working with things where I'm like, oh no, that's out of reach, or you know, I can't afford that. Like I could I can make something cool with like Crayola watercolor palettes, you know. <laughs> Like I'm not, I'm not super snobby about the supplies. Was it, so it was, it was kind of like when you were younger, like you had the access to the Crayola, Crayola watercolors. And so it just kind of like stuck from there. Am I understanding that? Yeah. Yeah. Those like really cheap sort of dusty, very basic watercolor palettes. And then like pushing those to the limit. Um, and then like every, every holiday or like birthday, I would ask for like one of those like massive art kits that have like the markers and the the pastels in there and just like the full kit. And I would use every single piece of like those massive mass produced kits that you get at like Hobby Lobby. Um, I would use them until like there was nothing left. And then that would be like the only gift I would ask for. I'm like, just give me art supplies, whatever we could afford, just like get them and give them to me. Um, how long does it usually take you to do a a watercolor piece on average uh it really depends on the size I feel like with watercolor I usually like to work a bit larger because I'll go into it with like a rough idea of what I want to make but 
I usually veer from whatever my original idea was to like whatever the paper and the supplies like are allowing me to do and like I'll change up my vision mid painting um but I like working on a larger scale for watercolor just because I love the the runny effect and like how much you could blend and working with like a huge brush to like lay down some basic shapes before I add detail but then with like acrylic painting I usually work a little smaller because it's it's a bit more viscous and you can just build it up a bit different and I'm able to get like a different level of definition and detail there. And uh, because it takes a long time to dry, I'm really impatient. And I usually like don't have a good spot for like, I don't have a studio. I like have a small little corner of, of our home where I have all of my art stuff. And so, um, you know, acrylics take a while to dry and I'm really impatient. So I just work on like smaller, smaller pieces for practicality sake so that it dries quickly and like it's not ruined or messed up. How long does it take to dry? Um, it depends on like the acrylics I'm using, but I would say like two weeks to get like a good set to where like I could feel good, like touching it and like moving things around and like I don't have to worry about dust affecting things um but like I I usually I work in a very chaotic way where I'm working on several pieces at once and so like there's just pieces at like different stages that I bounce around to um sometimes I'll go back and like continue a painting or like I'll add on to something like years later if I have something where I'm like I'm not quite satisfied with it but I don't know where to go from there I'm not afraid to be like this is just unfinished for now until the inspiration comes back to me or like, you know, the vision or whatever I see this being finished as comes back. Um, so I have like a lot of, a lot of pieces in different stages, um, just like set up all around and in storage. And I would say it takes like a week to two weeks for acrylic, whereas like with watercolor, you could sit there with like a blow dryer and have it like immediately dry, which is pretty cool. Right. That's cool that you, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you just kind of have like an inventory in your mind, like ready to go. And then like something will like kind of hit you in your day. And then you'll be yeah. like, oh, that would be, that would be cool for like this thing that I was working on three years ago. Exactly. And I think that's like one of my ADHD superpowers is that I'm constantly thinking about like, what am I going to make? Or like, what would this translate well to? Or can I turn this into a block carving? Or is this better as a painting? Or you know, should I try and like build something and like make a photograph out of it or like something really weird and mixed media? I don't know. I've got um, like books of ideas. I keep like a, a sketchbook. It's like also an idea book that I just like carry around with me most of the times. So and I'll just like jot down a few words or like an idea or like do a quick little doodle. And I'll be like, I'll come back to this. This is going to be good one day, but not today. So that's, that's something that you kind of like need to do. So so that you, is, is, is that your, is that your secret utility belt as far as like remembering things is just like having to like write things down as you go about it because otherwise yes. you won't remember it later I have a very wonky memory and uh I'm very like I'm very compelled to like stop what I'm doing in the moment if I have an idea and I'm like oh man I want to make that it's like all consuming and I have to stop and like literally write it down I have to make sure it's in place like I'll text it to myself um, I also have like a text thread to myself full of like ideas where I'll be like, I won't have my notebook on me, but I'll be in the car or something. And I'm like, I just thought of something really cool. I don't want to lose it because I want to make this one day. Let me text this to myself and like a quick little rough idea of what I was thinking or like the inspiration, the place that I was at. And I'll just like take down those notes and then revisit it later. 
Um, so I have like this constant huge bank of things that I want to make, but I might not be in like the place or like the mindset to make it. Um, and then when I have this space where I'm like, you know what, I really want to dive into some creative projects. I don't really know where I want to start. I'll just like go through my little like notebook or my text thread and be like, Ooh, I'm going to pick that out because that speaks to me right now. Or like, that was a really good idea. Let's go explore that and like dive a little deeper. And so I do have like a secret little book of, of projects to work on all the time. The thing that sucks for me about that is that I just have to, cause I, I, I do similar things, uh, largely notes in my phone, but I have to like make it as detailed as possible. Cause otherwise I'll like look back on it and I'll be like robot pancakes. Like what did, what did <laughs> I mean by this? Um, do you often, so like, if I'm understanding correctly, when, like when you're sitting down to like do something like you're kind of, you, you, you have a, a thesis statement, whether that deviates or not, like you have kind of like a thesis statement that you're kind of going into it with, um, or oftentimes do you just like go in and you just like, don't know what the fuck. And then just like start doing things with color. Yeah, I very rarely um, go in without an idea um, because I think that like the idea of that like, like made me sweat a little bit. That makes me a little nervous, like going without a plan or like, you know, some sort of like foundation or like image already formed in my brain. So I definitely rely on like my chaotic notes and like little doodles on things to sort of guide me. Um, otherwise, we'll just sit there and I'll be like, I have no ideas. I have no idea like where I should go and it gets kind of overwhelming. But if I've already like visited an idea or written something down, I'm like, Ooh, this feels good. Let's dive right into that without hesitation and like see where it takes me. And that's an approach that like feels really good. Um, I wanted to circle back to you bringing up wood carving. Talk to me about that. If, if you wouldn't mind, what's, what's, yeah. what's that look like? Oh man, I love, um, so a couple of years ago, um, I don't remember who the artist was. I was looking at, I think I have it written down somewhere. I have like a note where I like keep this person's artist up. <clears throat> there was a, a Mexican political lithographer. Oh, their name is, here it is, Jose Guadalupe Posada Aguilar. And he makes really, really cool um like lithographs that are based on like political movements, political history, um, just really cool, like labor movement art. And I was so struck by like the boldness of just the tradition of like, um, like protest banners that are, that are done in, in Spanish, Spanish speaking countries, um, political lithography and all of that. I was like, I don't really have a political statement to make, but I love this art form and I love how you could convey a very strong message with this image and then like reproduce it over and over again by carving into like a wood block or a like linoleum block. Um, those are really accessible and I work with those too. And uh, so that sort of like got me started. I was like, how could I translate any of the things that I want to do into this medium, which it's both intimidating, but fun because like, it's a little unforgiving. Like you could, you can't just go in haphazardly uh, with block carving. Like you kind of have to have a plan and like take it a lot slower because you, you can't take back something that you carve and like, it could change the composition. If like you do your layers wrong or if like something's supposed to be black versus white. Um, and so I found that really appealing and really challenging. And so I started adapting like my drawing style to something that would translate into like block prints. 
and then just trying out like little block prints. So I started with like flowers and hands and just like small accessible images that I could knew I knew I could draw over and over again and uh, have been growing ever since. And it's still still a challenge to this day. Um, I'm working on a block right now and I like stopped sort of halfway through last week because I was like, I don't know if I have the, the technical ability to like bring the image forward that like I drew or, you know, I'm just, it, it, I love it because it makes me take pause and just like assess how to approach and just be like, hmm, do I need to build a skill here? Or do I need a different tool or how could I, how could I execute this and like make this look how I picture in my brain or how can I make this look good? Um I would imagine that it would be very, like you said, that it would be just like very stressful to just like even doing it like incredibly slowly, like as it's getting closer to the finish point, just being fearful that your hand is actually accidentally going to go like over here or whatever. Um, yeah. Do you do you have to like get in like a kind of zenish mind state in in order to? I to, do. Yeah. Yeah, um, I definitely like I if I'm not physically feeling well, um, I will not block carve because like my hands will not be as sturdy as they need to be like my lines will not be as straight. And like, I'll just have this added pressure on myself to like make things perfect when that's not necessarily who I am. I'm not a perfect person. And my artwork is certainly not perfect or, you know, flawless. And there's a lot of beauty in the flaws. And um, if I get to a point where like, I'm being too critical and I can't appreciate the flaws and I'm like, I shouldn't be carving. Cause like, I'm just going to hate this entire piece. So I try and like enter with a really, really calm and like accepting mindset of like, we're going to do the best we can and we're going to see what comes out of it. But I also have to have like a very clear image of what I want going into that. Um, I can't just wing it. Otherwise I'll be like, I just wasted this block because now I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just like cutting away at something and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine you can, yeah, you have to do kind of like that, like self work going into it as far as just like being accepting of just like what happens in life versus like other art forms where it can be just like really like messy going into it because you're like pissed off. And then maybe you'll feel better like after the fact. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. And that's like one of the challenges that I love about block carving is it requires like a different level of patience and forgiveness for myself because like I'll carve a lot of blocks and like, a lot of them will not be what I consider good enough to actually make a print out of, but like that physical practice that, you know, that act of carving the block was very valuable. And like, you learn lessons from it, like, okay, went a little too fast, went a little too deep, or like cut the shit out of my hands a thousand times. So I need to, you know, do this in a different space and not like at my kitchen table, that's a little wobbly. Um, and so there's all these like lessons that are learned and I love the, the learning and growing aspect of block carving. I feel like each block that I'm able to complete, um, is like a huge step in my growth. And I was actually like looking at blocks that I carved like two and three years ago. And I was like, I would love to redo those and like, see what my technical ability looks like today versus like back then. And if it looks any different or a little cleaner, or like maybe I would completely change up the composition halfway through and like add or take away something. Um, it's an eat, it's a neat little like historical, like timeline of like my growth in that medium. And it's like also really physical. And I love that you could go back and print them all over again. Whereas, you know, with the painting, you can make prints of it, but like even like the prints that you make 
are going to be very different from like the physical piece that you produced and with a block print like you could reproduce that over and over again and as long as you're not disturbing or like fucking up the block you know you have this exact replica of what you made which is cool in art forms that lack any sort of uh verbiage any sort of like clear articulation as to like uh, you know other than like the you know, manifestos that are like separate from the art or whatever. What do you hope that people get out of your art as it relates to like your experience on this planet? Is it too early for a question like that? Mm, that's a good one. I feel like I rarely, unless I'm doing like a piece that is inherently political or has like some sort of larger social message that I'm trying to get across or like a, a feeling inside that I'm trying to convey. Um, I rarely think about how others will perceive the art. Like I'm always just like, well, I hope you, I hope someone enjoys it. I hope someone thinks this is cool and like it calls to them because that would be awesome. But if not, I've made a lot of peace with the fact that like, I might be the only one who enjoys my art and like, that's okay because I'm I'm compelled to create from like a very deep place where it's like I have to get this image out and I don't know why I have like this this obsession with getting this image out but like I have to bring this to life and then like I feel like I could take a deep breath because I've made this thing and it's out of my head and it's in the real life space and like I could go and look at it and that's that's simply enough for me um but if I'm making a piece that has like a message uh like I made a uh political protest banner um last year for a show and you know I, I really wanted the impact to be people understanding uh you know the labor struggle and why we need a revolution and why we need to like work towards collective liberation and if like people could walk away from like seeing that piece and just be like wow that was really powerful this is why we fight um you know that would be enough for me. You're referring to the Be the Revolution piece that, yeah. that you did? That's on my wall. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah, I love I, that piece. I, 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 I love that piece as well. Um, so long <laughs> but so, sorry to interrupt. What were you saying? No, I'm saying it took so long to make. That was like constant carving for like four months. That took, that was like my most intensive piece. And I was terrified the entire time because there's so much detail in there. And like, once you get like a third of the way in, you're like, there's no turning back. I can't just like stop and start over again because that would be heartbreaking. I've vested so much time into this. And so it was just such a thoughtful, methodical piece. I poured so much of myself into that. And it was just like, I was carving at such a, such a shitty time um, with like the world and just so much, so much as always, it's just constantly happening politically um, and socially. But there was just like a lot of a lot of heaviness was sitting with me at the time. And so I remember like as I was carving, like I was often like crying because it was just so powerful for me. And I was just thinking like, God, I hope that others see the power behind this. And like, I don't know, I hope you like feel the energy that like I'm feeling when like I'm looking at these inner when I'm looking at this piece. Well, is there anything else you would like to be, be before we cut the short? Is there anything else you would like to share with me or with the world? Um go make art. Even if you're not, you know, an artist per se, go, go create some shit, go get weird. And like, don't, don't be afraid to, to make something ugly or bad or strange. 
just go make something. The act of making something is so strong. I feel like it's so connected to us as humans. You know, humans have been producing artwork and like creating things that like we didn't really need to create for like survival purposes since the dawn of time. And that's like one of the coolest things about being human is that we've always been compelled to like create something from our imagination or like something that we saw and like reproducing it down to like, you know, animal drawings or like early caveman drawings and just, you know, stick figures and all the, all the cool things. And I think it's so important to connect with, you know, that, that long ancestry of creating something. Um, It's really healing. And I encourage everyone to like, make the time to go, go make some shit. Just go do it. Feels good. Might as well. Yeah. Like, what else do you it. Like, do? Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> um, where where can people find you on on the on the social media on the net? Uh, I have a website that has not been updated in like two years because I was in grad school and it was all consuming. <laughs> um, but I will be updating it soon. Uh, you can find me at renrenegade.com. You could find me on Instagram under renrenegade. Um yeah, I think those are like the two places you could find me. If you're in Seattle, I'm out and about in the community. I'm usually walking around with like 50 pounds of art supplies in like the downtown area, just hanging out with folks and holding art spaces and community groups. So I don't know, hit me up. Let's let's chat. Let's talk art and let's let's get weird. Um, well, thank you for joining me. Um, I I have a the creative curmudgeon has a Patreon and a Venmo and what are your opinions about whether people should donate to it? Oh, I definitely think people should donate to it. I mean, you're holding space for people to talk about their creative process and art in general. And there's just not enough of that going on. That's like accessible for us little guys down here. And so I think people should go and pour their doll hairs into your Patreon and go hit up that Venmo because we got a fun buddies doing the good shit. And Collective liberation also means collective collection of dollars. So hell yeah, let's do it. You heard it here first, everybody. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me.